Well, good afternoon, everyone. How are you doing today? Good. I want to say a special welcome to those of us, uh, those of you who are joining us in the Pewaukee Practice Services. We are really excited to embark on this multi-site journey with all of you. My name is Sue, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at River Glen. And I love to read. If you come by my house, there are books on almost every horizontal surface. And at any given time, I may be in the process of reading anywhere from three to five different books. I know it's crazy, but I love all different kinds of books. I love biographies and mysteries. I love self-help, but my favorite type of book is a fiction family saga. It's the type of story where there's lots of different characters and they're all related to one another somehow. There's one main story, but there's usually a lot of subplots, maybe a story about the brother or the aunt or the neighbor. And a big part of the story is how all these subplots are tied in to the main story. And I love a book with a happy ending. Happy ending people out there, who loves a happy ending? Yeah, where all the storylines are wrapped up nice and neat, and I get to see how all the subplots get resolved. And most authors like to keep you guessing at the end of a story. You know, maybe the character gets the job, or the guy gets the girl, or the mystery is solved, but you don't get a lot of information beyond that, like what are the decisions that are gonna happen to move these characters into the future? And while I'm satisfied with a happy ending, I usually sit for a few minutes at the end of a book and I wonder, what would happen next? What decisions would these characters do next? And we've been spending the summer reviewing stories from the Old Testament of the Bible, stories about incredible people, inspiring people. The key verse for this story, uh, for this series, is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And the witnesses referred to in this verse are all the people that are mentioned in the chapter before this, Hebrews chapter 11, often called the Hall of Faith. And these individuals are kind of like the subplots within the larger story of the entire Bible, and many of their stories have been familiar. Noah and the Ark, Joseph and the Coat of Colors, but down in verse 31, we find someone not so familiar. Rahab the prostitute, whose story we're going to learn today, is probably the most unlikely member of the Hebrew Hall of Faith. And we're going to learn today how her Old Testament story turns out as well as what happens next and how her story intersects with our story. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I think one of the first things we can ask ourselves is, why would she make the list? I mean, we first learn about Rahab in the book of Joshua, and here's what we know about her. She lives in the city of Jericho. She's a prostitute. She's described that way in Hebrews as well as in the book of Joshua. And because she's a prostitute, her home is on the outer wall of the city where men can come and go without being seen. And Rahab's story and her self-worth are defined in dollar amounts, and her dreams are pretty much limited to her next anonymous customer. But the crazy part about these details is that her subplot doesn't disqualify her from becoming part of the larger story of the Bible, the story of God and his epic, overarching love story with the world, really, with all of us. And I believe that God wants us to know this story because throughout history, this book is full of stories about how God is restoring brokenness in the world and restoring relationships 
with all of us. And I think God is interested in subplots, in the intimate, detailed, layered character development of people, even raw, messy, broken people like Rahab, or like me, or maybe like you. And as we look at Rahab's story today, I think we'll notice that she makes a choice using two words that we read in Hebrews 11, two words that have preceded all of the individuals that we've learned about during this incredible series, those words, by faith. And those two words changed everything for Rahab. I want us to see today how those two words can change things for us, because I want to discover today how choosing faith changes things. Faith changed Rahab's subplot, and it affected the overarching story of God's restoration for all of us. And as we jump in, I want to look at Rahab's story in detail, but I think we need a little bit of history first. So like I said earlier, Rahab's story takes place in the book of Joshua, where we find a continuation of the story of the entire nation of Israel. Joshua is leading about two million Israelites on their journey to the promised land. It's been a 40-year journey that included escaping through the parting of the Red Sea, but finally they arrive. And the last thing between the Israelites and the promised land is Jericho. And the story starts with Joshua sending spies into the land of Jericho. Now, Jericho is a city that worships idols or many gods, not the one true God of the nation of Israel. And in chapter 2, we meet Rahab. She finds herself smack dab in the middle of Israel's story because sometimes when you're not looking, God comes knocking, even on the door of a brothel. So let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. So the spies enter the city through Rahab's home on the wall, and they're trying to be anonymous, but obviously someone sees them and reports back to the king. And the king sends a clear message to Rahab, bring them out. I think it's kind of like one of those TV dramas where the SWAT team is surrounding the house and there's the negotiator on the megaphone and he's like, come out now and no one gets hurt. But that's not what happens here. Let's keep reading in verse 4. So Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry up, you can probably catch up with them. And then in verse 6, it says, we keep going. I know, oh, all right, I guess we'll just keep going from here. In verse 6, it says, actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So Rahab covers for the spies. She says they were here, they left, I don't know where they went, check the road. So this is really a girl with guts. You know, she lies to the king, she hides the spies, basically risking her life. And why would she do that? I mean, she doesn't know these spies, she doesn't owe them anything. They're enemies of Jericho. But I think for the first time, Rahab is sensing something different. It's possible that she was sensing that she's going to be part of a bigger story that's going to take place that day. She's probably wondering why so many men who have come and gone from her house, why did these two show up at her door? Two men showing up at her home for a different reason than any other man has shown up before. And I think these men win her trust 
by not being customers. And maybe Rahab senses that God has come knocking at her door. There's definitely something different about these two men, and Rahab sees a chance to be rescued. Rahab chose faith, and it changes things for her and her future because choosing faith changes things. So let's see what happens next. Picking it up in verse 9, Rahab goes up to the roof to talk to the spies she's hidden and listen to what she says to them. She says, I know the Lord. Now this word Lord here, it means most high God. And this is probably the first time that Rahab actually verbalizes her faith. So it says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So Rahab chooses to have faith in a God that she's only heard about from a distance. And something inside of her knows that their God is different. Something inside of her knows that the God of the Israelites isn't like the worthless idols that she's grown up with in Jericho. Now, I imagine that along the way, Rahab had prayed to those idols but had gotten no answers, and she'd been looking for hope for some time, and now she senses hope on the horizon. The God that these guys believed in was the supreme God, the Lord Most High a beacon of hope. She'd heard about his power, how this most high Lord leads and protects. She'd heard about their miraculous rescue stories, and now she wants to get in on it too. So in the next verse, she asks, are you willing to make a deal? She tells the spies that she sent the king's men away looking for the spies outside the city walls, and she wants to know if they'll swear by their Lord to be kind to her and her family. And as you look at verse 12, this word kind is a Hebrew word that when you translate into English, it's the word hesed. And it means loving kindness, mercy, a loyal covenant promise or a kindness that covers. And Rahab is looking for a promise from these spies, a covenant type of kindness. And she wants to be covered in mercy as the army prepares to take the city of Jericho. I think what she's looking for is sort of like an umbrella. I mean, think about it. When you open up an umbrella, it doesn't keep the rain from falling. It just keeps it from falling on you. And Rahab knows that something is coming. The Israelite army is headed toward her city and destruction is coming and she wants to be covered. She wants God's mercy, his loving kindness, his covenant promise. So she tells these spies, I'm gonna need some hesed. So continuing in verse 12, it says, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. So in verse 14, they say, deal. You've got your hesed, you're covered, we promise. In fact, they say, we'll give you a guarantee. Our lives for yours. It's contingent, obviously, on the fact that she doesn't turn them in, but as long as Rahab doesn't turn them in, they promise to be kind when the Lord gives them the land. So let's keep reading in verse 15. It says, then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. And jumping down to verse 18, the spies let her know what she'll need to do when they return. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all of your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all of your relatives must be here 
inside the house. I think in some ways, these guys were also covering themselves. I mean, they're very specific about how this kindness, this hesed, is going to be shown. Everyone has to be inside the house. For all they know, Rahab could change her mind. She could panic or go to the authorities. Something could go wrong. So they let her know that if there's no scarlet cord hanging from the window, there'll be no rescue. The scarlet rope hanging down marks her house as a safe house. If the people are in the house, there's safety. But if they're not inside, there's no guarantee. And as long as you keep your end of the deal, Rahab, we promise that you will receive hesed. Then in verse 21, we read that Rahab agrees to the deal, and she immediately ties the scarlet cord to the window. And as the book of Joshua continues, the next time we hear about Rahab is in chapter 6. When it's time for the Israelite army to take the city, Joshua reminds the spies of the promise and that they need to keep it. He commands them to go to Rahab's house, bring out her and her family, and put them in a safe place in the Israelite camp. And verse 25 says that she lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab's life completely changes with that rescue, and it all started with the tipping point of those two little words, by faith. Because choosing faith changes things. Think about what happens when Rahab chooses faith in this God that she has only heard about from other people. It's possible that the men that she had sinned with were the first ones who told her what she knew about God. And when the spies showed up, she decides this time that their God is real. She chooses to follow through on her growing faith and trust him for her rescue. And God wrote a brand new, better story with her life. So here's what I want you to take away today as you consider what it would mean to choose faith with your own life. First, God rewards us when we choose even a little bit of faith. Hebrews 11:6 says that it's impossible to please God without faith. And I've learned in my own life that God can use whatever faith we have, even if it's a very small amount. If we're willing to crack open the door even a little, God can work with that. In fact, it is his pleasure to show up and show off. When I was a little girl, my older brother was a very scary person in our family and in my life, and my memories are from a long time ago, so it's very possible that my little girl brain has made this into a much bigger deal than it was, but here's what I remember. I remember my parents arguing loudly with my brother while I was lying in bed, and I heard my brother say things like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to burn this house down, and I'm going to kill all of you. And so as a little girl, I would slide out of my bed with my pillow and my blanket, and I would hide in that narrow space between the bed and the wall, and I would pray to God. I'd say, please, please don't stop. Please stop him, God. Please don't let him kill mom and dad. Please don't let him burn our house down. And at that age and stage of my life, I didn't know very much about God. I didn't have any knowledge of the Bible or how to pray besides the Lord's Prayer that we said at dinner time and in church. And I only had about this much faith that God even heard my prayers. But I believe that God honored that small amount of faith, and he heard my prayers those nights. And I believe that those moments of exercising what little faith I have, they set a foundation for future belief and trust in God. You see, when we open up our hearts to God in faith, no matter how slightly, God will use that opening to show his power. That happened for me lying on the floor between my bed and the wall, and that happened for Rahab when she welcomed the spies into her home. And that can happen for any of you. Choosing faith 
changes things. From what we read, Rahab basically knew only about a couple stories about God and the Israelites. She knew about the Red Sea parting. She knew about some battles that the Israelite army had won, destroying their enemies. But that was enough for Rahab to crack open her heart and choose to believe. And like I said earlier, God wrote a brand new story for Rahab, a better story for her life. The writer of Hebrews 11 lists person after person who chose faith, all the way down to Rahab in verse 31. And the moment that Rahab welcomed the spies, that was the start of Rahab's new story, her life being spared. But there's more to come because God has big plans for Rahab. And Rahab is mentioned again in the New Testament of the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first chapter. And this is where we find another long list of names, the names in the lineage of Jesus. And verse 1 of chapter 1 in Matthew says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to list all those who were the fathers and sons after Abraham. And as we continue to read down the list, look at what it says in verse 5. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. I love this. I mean, not only did, by her faith, not only did Rahab get in on the rescue, but she got in on the family of God. Not only does she get in on the hall of faith, but our God, the great storyteller, decides to make Rahab part of the actual family tree of Jesus that brings the promised Savior, Jesus Christ. You just never know how God is going to cho use choosing faith to change things. I think it's easy in Matthew chapter 1 to skip all the names and get down to the story of the shepherds in the manger, but God is trying to show us in the subplot of this story, in the list, God is trying to show us that through faith, even a small amount of faith, anyone, anyone can be rescued and be used by God to do incredible things in their life. Considering Rahab's past, her country of origin, her profession, including her in the list, reinforces that God is the God of everyone. And that brings me to my second point. It's not too late for anyone to choose faith. Let's talk about that label that Rahab lived with. I mean, most times, not every time, but most of them, in the scripture passages that mention Rahab, it says Rahab the prostitute. Why do you think that is? I feel like we should cut her some slack. I mean, after all, I'm sure that as a little girl, she didn't grow up dreaming about being a prostitute. And it doesn't really tell us in the passages how she ended up in that place. But as I was studying, there were some things that I found interesting. It's certainly possible that Rahab was married at one point since she has her own home and she's still in touch with her family. So maybe she had to turn to prostitution after she lost her husband. The reference to flax on her roof and the scarlet cord suggests that she had another business going on, one of making cloth or linen. That's what the flax would have been used for. And women in that century, they didn't have the same types of opportunities to pursue and become successful at a career. So maybe she needed to make money at both cloth making and prostitution in order to survive. I think that women who find themselves in the line of work that Rahab did are more often sinned against than they are sinners. And in the case of prostitution, man's lust for the unlawful is usually responsible. And so I think we have to be careful not to get too caught up in the label that's attached to Rahab's name. But the bottom line is that no matter what sin label is attached to anyone's name, God wants us to know it's not too late. 
for anyone. Choosing faith changes things. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine named Bill. Several years ago, Bill had a great job, a job he loved and that he was really good at, and a job that was very much in the public eye. But Bill also had a drinking problem, and some of the poor choices that he made while drinking resulted in his arrest, his conviction, and some jail time. And that conviction cost him his job, it cost him his reputation, and it continues to make it difficult for him to earn a living. And faced with the consequences of his actions, Bill started getting treatment for his drinking problem, and his journey led him here to River Glen, where by faith he surrendered his heart and his messed up life to God. God met him in that place of surrender, and Bill surrounded himself with other followers of God. And about a year ago, we heard Bill on a video talking about his group, his life group, that how they came around him and helped him grow into a stronger faith than he had ever experienced in his life. But not everything changed for Bill. I mean, if you Google his name today, all the messy choices and consequences from his life are right there for anyone to read. And he can never escape the stories that are written about him by the news or by his colleagues. But Bill isn't that person anymore. God took what little bit of faith Bill had when he opened his heart to ask for help, and God changed the story of his life from an eternal perspective. He was rescued, forgiven, cleansed of his sin, and now he has a place in God's family forever. Bill knows that his past does not define him. He sees himself as a much-loved child of God. And most people in this church, they don't even know about Bill's past, but there's still stories out there on the internet, and he can't control that. So like Rahab, he has to go through life with a label attached to him. But also like Rahab, Bill knows that he is a beacon of hope for anyone out there because he can say this rescue, this freedom, this fresh start, this good news, this grace, this hesed, it's for everyone. From alcoholics and accountants down to politicians and prostitutes. And maybe Bill's story is your story. Maybe you carry around a label that seems impossible to shake. Or maybe you know someone with a label, and you struggle to show the kind of mercy that God shows to the Rahabs and the Bills of this world, it's not too late. It's not too late to get in on the rescue, and it's not too late to extend kindness to someone else. We all need a rescue. We all need Hesed, and we all need this covenant type of love that will cover us. We all need mercy. And listen up, it is available to anyone who has even a little bit of faith and chooses to act on it. Check out what it says in Romans chapter 3. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Not just Rahab the prostitute, all of us. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. We were done. But God, being rich in mercy, when we were stuck, he made a way for us. God came knocking at our door and he said, choose faith, just like Bill, just like Rahab, just like me and so many of us. We are now rescued, not by a scarlet cord, but by the crimson blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something today. Can you see yourself in Rahab's story? What about within God's story? Maybe you need a rescue today. If so, what's keeping you from getting in on the rescue? What's keeping you from choosing faith today? Does it seem like you don't know enough that you only have this much faith? Are you afraid today? 
afraid of what the outcome will be. Maybe the idea of change scares you to death. I keep saying that choosing faith changes things, and you're right. It can be scary, but please don't let fear bully you anymore. Fear is the thing that'll keep you stuck. Fear is what tells you things can't really change, that life will never really be any different. But the greatest subplots in this story of life are those that face down fear and step out and walk by faith. Don't be afraid. God has a better story for you, a story full of meaning and purpose, a story full of adventure that you can't even imagine for your own life. And maybe you've heard about the rescue stories of other people. I mean, we tell stories like that here at River Glen all the time. But maybe you're thinking, oh, that's their God. That's their miraculous rescue. That's their faith. And if you think for some reason you're not eligible, that you've done too much, or your situation is too complicated, that somehow it's too late for you. And you know what? I'm guessing those same thoughts went through Rahab's mind. She might have been thinking, they won't come back, even as she was putting that scarlet cord out the window. She might have been saying things like, what was I thinking? Why would their God want someone like me? And if that's what you're thinking, I want you to know, God doesn't know the label unwanted. He doesn't understand undesirable when it comes to people. Absolutely no one is beyond rescue. Maybe you're thinking, I have to get my life together first. But that's not how God works. I mean, Rahab, God used her before she went to rehab. And God will meet you right in the middle of whatever mess you're currently living in, even if it's a mess of your own making. And all of us need to just take what little bit of faith we have and offer it to God today. All we have to do is say, okay, God, I'm in. I choose faith. And he'll give us the power to embrace the change that comes next. He'll give us strength like we've never had before. I believe that the same God who knocked on the door of that brothel, he's knocking on people's hearts today, right here, right in this room. And I know that God wants more than anything for all of us to say yes. He wants to rewrite our stories, our subplots within his story. He wants to include all of us in the hall of faith, and he wants our family trees to be a legacy of amazing grace. If you're still feeling hesitant, I want to challenge you to, to do one simple thing. I want to challenge you to pray a simple prayer for the next 30 days. It's really easy. You can say it before you even get out of bed in the morning. It goes like this. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. That might be all the prayer that you can muster today, but I believe it's enough for God. I believe that choosing faith changes things, so try that short prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Give God a chance to show up in your story. I want to give you a few moments to process this because it's a big deal. I mean, some of you could walk out of here today choosing faith for the first time. And if you're the kind of person who likes to process things with someone else, come find me at the Connect Wall. I would love to talk to you. But as we get ready to take communion together today, I want to ask everybody just to close your eyes. Just close your eyes where you are, and I want you to picture that scarlet rope. Picture that scarlet rope that Rahab hung out the window that day. That scarlet rope, it marked Rahab for rescue, and the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, it marks you and me for rescue. That's what we remember when we take communion each week. The blood of Jesus on the cross that provides a rescue for anyone 
who believes. More than anything, Jesus wants you to choose rescue today. He wants you to choose to believe that he died for you, and he wants you to choose to ask him for a new story today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, some of us with only a little bit of faith. And God, we ask you to take that faith and to cause it to grow into trust in you. Help us to see ourselves in the story of Rahab and to grab a hold of the rescue that you're offering. Thanks for that rescue that you provided through Jesus on the cross. Help us to choose faith day after day in all the crazy and all the normal situations of our life and help us to embrace the change that comes next. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.